to the Alumless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Catherwood. Chris Marshall and I had a great conversation with John Valvet this week. John is a vice president in the Oregon State University Foundation and executive director of the Oregon State University Alumni Association. We talked with John about how the team in Corvallis worked to successfully merge together the foundation and the Alumni Association, and we discussed this trend in higher education more broadly, plus we tackle many more topics. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast version of Alumless. Of course, we've added the 30-minute bonus segment with John, Chris, and myself to the podcast that we recorded following the LinkedIn Live broadcast on June 10th. Thanks so much for listening, and now on with the show. All right, we are back for the Alumnus Episode 5 bonus segment featuring John Valva of Oregon State University. It's great to have you joining us, John. Great discussion in the LinkedIn Live uh, conversation. We've, we've found ourselves a nice, quiet Zoom room, uh, apparated from StreamYard to Zoom in order to uh, keep the conversation going. Uh, but it's great to have you. And um, of course, for those that are listening out there to the podcast, we're grateful that you've subscribed and are listening to us through the podcast. If you think about it, go ahead and write a review uh, so that more people can find the show. Uh, John, last week we had a Patricia Nguyen on the show. And although the job title has changed, Patricia had the same role helping guide alumni engagement across the UC system from the Office of the President. What was your experience like in that role? And did any of those experiences in the role inform your approach to the current job at Oregon State? I was thrilled last week that you had Patricia. Uh, I've known her a number of years, a huge fan. Uh, her work has changed how many of us view this work uh, for the better. And uh, she's one of those incredibly smart, articulate, um, deep diving professionals that I'm proud to work with. Uh, I'm glad that she's in this job, that job. It's a hard job. System work is different than campus work. And um, uh, from afar, and it's only from afar, I sense that um, um, she's being asked to and will take it herself different places than I did. And as I had taken it different places than my predecessor, James Stofan had done. Uh, because with, with, system work uh you have to change with the times and and drive towards opportunities and gaps across in that case at the university of california 10 robust self-running operations so um i think she is in a position to teach all of us of how to really do the type of creative outcome-based inclusive design diversity, equity, and inclusion work that um, she's she's expert at. And a place like California will, will need going forward in their advocacy, student enrollment work and, and funding work. Uh, so thrilled that she's there. Uh, how it affected uh, me, um, uh, I would say that uh, sitting in a system um, position gives you the benefit of working on and seeing best practices across multiple operations all at once. Uh, while I was there, we did some incubating work. If something really cool was happening at UC Davis, we would do some work to try to implement it at UC Irvine or Santa Barbara or any of those flows. What happens at the newest campus at Merced uh, can inform what could happen at Berkeley and UCLA. And that's cool when you're in a role like that. Um, I plucked a lot for uh, of those learnings for um, getting back to being an on-campus practitioner. I wanted to come back to a campus where we could take some of those lessons and implement them. And I, I think, you can ask my staff, I think I'm better at this job now than I would have been if I hadn't been in that one. John, you still have um, a community out there of people who are in your role, the CAAE, Council for the Alumni Association, Alumni Association Executives, who you can pick and pluck from. One of the things I love about our industry, as you well know, is that we can borrow and leverage those learnings at any institution. They bring them back and 
Oregon state eyes it in your case so that it makes sense for your world. You still leverage that group. CAAE is still, I know they're, they were active through the um, pandemic digitally, but. Absolutely. And I missed them because yeah. in my system work, I, I wasn't eligible. So, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I lost yeah. eight years of, of friendships and uh, commiserations with that group. I've been back. Uh, the, um, as you said, I mean, you know, we used to joke and some people probably still do cases copy and steal everything and Mm -hmm. if if that was true for big wide case that was quintuply true uh (laughs) with caae because um most of the membership are similar types of organizations similar types of institutions um uh, regardless of whether you're in that or pequod or independent school um confabs uh i'm a huge fan of being a student of our predecessors mm-hmm. uh, there's some magical work that happened in the 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s magical yeah. work that um we need to understand uh and not label and not just write off as those were different days because uh they were doing incredible they were doing the same amount of output then with three person staffs that we're doing with 33 person staffs truthfully they were work their tails off to do it yeah, I agree with you. Being a student of the profession and of the industry currently, that's so critical. One of the things those those I call them communities of practice, where you're with like people. Yeah. You mentioned it, commiseration. There's a little bit of therapy that goes on. In those oh, yeah. where you can talk to people about the same stuff they're dealing with, and important relationships. Uh, and yeah. I, as you do, Chris, I have I have really lifelong friends from yep. those commiserations uh and the um the industry has changed caae has needed to change and has changed uh and um i'm proud of them because they're they're really thoughtful to acknowledge that uh the practice uh has not only far more equity gender wise but uh in the leadership categories there are more women than men now and should be and um more diverse and more diverse yep. thinking in terms of the types of institutions we represent things like that so it's always been incredibly great camaraderie and learnings and now it's even better because it's it's keeping up with the time yeah it, it was actually really interesting over the last 21 years i've been in it i've actually seen that evolution change from what it was back in late 90s early 2000s to today it's I 100% agree with you. I want to go back to something you mentioned in the previous segment where you talked about, you know, the, the game changer COVID and how it's changed the way we all approach this business. Um, and you mentioned some of the things. Let's dive a little deeper um, and, and, and go into this. What, what did you learn about engaging alumni during the pandemic that you'll keep as part of your strategy going forward? It's, it's, it's a giggle to even say this out loud is that, uh, 26 months ago, we thought the only people that would digitally engage are under 30 years old. <laughs> right. That's, that's good... How naive were we, right? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Now, granted, I still have Zoom sessions with lovely folks that uh, don't quite get their camera right. But the but they're like this, John. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of top of heads going on. Um, but, and, you're and on I'm, mute. Yeah. And yeah, you're on right. mute. Well, I'm guilty of that one. The, um, I hosted a travel talks webinar the other day and I was halfway through my opening remarks when I finally noticed the texts I was getting from the team members that I was on mute more fun. So the, uh, but the, Happens to the best. Yep. So as we talked about on the, the earlier session, uh, I think we have the, I think we, I don't know that we've nailed it, but I think we have the opportunity to be more holistically inclusive than ever before. Uh, I think that that changes the expertise and the qualifications of our team members. Uh, many of us for many years hired mostly event planners. Yeah. Uh, and um, we need to be bringing in um, social media, digital, digital video, yeah. video content, podcasts like this content is more important than ever. That is not the same expertise as working with caterers. So um, it's it's blending our our staff um, characteristics uh, and focus more. Uh, I would also say that um, um, we're at this moment 
where it's going to be extraordinarily easy to just go back to where we were pre-COVID. Last night, we threw a fantastic grad night uh, here in the Alumni Center, new grads, poker night, disco, awesome, hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm. Um, people are willing to come back. Uh, next, this upcoming 12 months will be the largest 12 months in our alumni international group travel than we've ever had before. Mm. There is a pent up desire of the market, at least in our case, to come back. Yeah, That's going to take up all of our energy and our resources. We cannot forget the audiences that we just got yeah, uh, and the competencies that we just discovered. So huge summer project is what's next year's plan of blending going to be yep. and how do we afford it? Uh, and uh, how do we make sure that we have enough interesting content around it? So um, to, it's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we get to play with right now. Yeah. John, I would love to sort of fly on the wall in those conversations over the summer, because even whether it's strategic planning or an annual planning process, you go through a a moment where you say, okay, what are we going to do? But there's also that moment where you go through and you say, what are we not going to do? Yeah. And stopping something. We're really good in our industry. We we are really good at addition. We stink at subtraction. Yeah. What have you stopped? And what's on the plate right now for you as you think going forward of where we're going? So, so, slowing down, maybe turning, maybe not stopping always. It's sometimes turning the volume down so you can turn it up over here and do something else. What's in your mind? You're right. It's really hard to cut. Uh, The easiest thing to cut easy was still painful, but the most, um, the low hanging fruit to cut at the beginning of COVID is we basically eliminated our regional programs as they had been traditionally set up immediately. Uh, Region and location almost didn't matter during COVID. Yeah maybe time zone. And that was about it. <laughs> exactly. The, um, it needs to come back. And so we pulled back from that resource wise, and we're going to go back to it in the next fiscal year, partially. Um, so sometimes it's actually one of those things where you, you decrease and you realize that you, if there's a pendulum, you got to pull the pendulum back a little bit the other way, yep. right? And, yep. and regions, regions was one that went away and now has to come back. It will not, in my view, come back the same way we used to do it. Uh, and so here's my direct answer. Um, we need to do more with less. What's that mean? Any alumni association that's doing 300 plus events or meetings and convenings in a given year they better have 80 or 90 people on their staff to do that. The truth of the matter is most of us have, most of us big shops have 20 to 40. Yep. And the and you can't maintain that volume uh, of activity and still do what we talked about in the earlier segment, identify who's actually engaging with you and then forward your engagement relationships with them. So the data point I didn't share earlier is here, if one volunteers gives their time and expertise in a given year, they're six times more likely to give in that year Mm -hmm. and nine times more likely to give uh, over a five-year period. That's real data. In Mm -hmm. order to actually move that relationship forward, it's not a matter of throwing a lot of nice things, meeting people, and then hope they give. You actually have to thoughtfully call somebody the next day and say, it was so nice meeting you last night. Thanks for coming. Have you ever thought about mentoring a student? Or mm-hmm. uh, you are in a voting district that we need right now on this funding proposal in front of the state. Uh, so you have to be thinking about what's next in the engagement utilization of our good friends and bring in uh we're all pretty good at thinking about the funnel you bring in a lot of people and and you identify um who to build relationships with that needs to be the job of every engagement officer an engagement officer that's running dozens or hundreds of events in a given year does not have the energy time or ability to do that so part of the answer of what do we do less of we slow ourselves down identify the elevated moments rework our um this is what we've been doing rework our workflows that you do a certain number of things you pick what that number is of things exquisitely well professionalize them perfect them almost and then you adjust them to each different market so yes. instead of having 20 or 25 different programs doing 300 events a year you basically have five or six programs 
you adjust them to different markets and you're doing 70 events a year. Right. But those events have more people and more thought about what happens after them. So oh. it's a matter of, <laughs> to me, it's a matter of the discipline of the choices of programming and the thoughtfulness of how to take advantage of them than it is we're going to cut this program completely, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 I want to reach out, virtually hug you for saying what you just said about the follow-up because because you're typical. Creepy, Chris, but keep going. <laughs> Or high five you, whatever you want. But uh, in the age of COVID, we'll fist bump. But uh, the follow up after events that you just talked about, the dot connecting that needs to happen for all kinds of reasons, not just about whether or not we're going to get that person to become a donor, um, is so critical. And we don't do it. We just don't do it as industry because we're going from event to event to the next meeting. We're too to the busy board. to do it. Say again. We're too busy to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it takes leaders like you to say, okay, let's slow it down, turn down, whatever you want to call it, and and be more thoughtful about that post event. That is harder than I just said it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's a work in progress here. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's also hard, but is also a common challenge across universities is that many have purchased the network platform, right? As part of the package of technology to help guide mentoring programs, right? To help guide digital community building. You are a graduate customer at um, Oregon State. Chris, you used to work uh, for graduate prior to starting uh, CMAC. Uh, what is your What are your thoughts on that technology as a solution for the now and for the future? And I suppose, you know, how do you see, how has it been effective at Oregon State in driving engagement, driving volunteerism, um, being part of the suite of solutions that are um, you know, really helping you reach some of those goals. I probably said to Chris, as we were thinking about this, and I know I said it to our friend Daniel uh, at Graduate, is um, I'm a huge fan of the product. Uh, I am a skeptic of those that buy any of these products as their real solution solely. So these products are a tool, a resource, um, and you have to staff them. You have to market them. Oh, yeah. You have to treat them as an engagement operation, not as a checkbox. And I'd say probably half of their clients probably do one side of that and half their clients probably <laughs> do the other side of that. Truthfully. Um, uh, but I, I, I'm a big fan of the company and I'm a big fan of the product. Um, uh, we do what I just said, maybe 30 or 40% well, and we're still working on the rest of it. What do I mean? Um, let's really go back to outcomes. Uh, it's one thing to say we do career engagement for alumni and students. It's another thing to say to what end. So uh, we're going to be going public this fall with some of the aspirational goals of the outcomes of our engagement. And they're pretty aspirational and pretty daunting. So for instance, we're going to say this fall that we are guaranteeing that 100% of Oregon State students have direct access to the alumni career mentor network. Guarantee it. So whether you're a construction engineering major and you want to get into a construction engineering uh, internship, you kind of already set up for that. But if you're a English major, <laughs> who's not exactly sure where that's going to go, but you love literature and you want to talk to somebody that has figured out different career options there too, we can deliver that too. So in order to deliver that, you need some infrastructure and some tools to scale it, to make it yep. accessible and palpable. You can't just say to people, go to LinkedIn, there are a lot of beavers there. Uh, although they're more there than anywhere else we're going to find them. Uh, you have to be able to leverage LinkedIn to populate your insular group to deliver a particular um, outcome. And in, in our case, the, deliver, the delivery is not going to set up matching of mentors. Other, other schools do it that way. That's a little daunting for us, but we are going to scale the network and we're in the process right now, large enough so that whatever that um, uh, young person is looking for or thinks they might be looking for career-wise, there's going to be someone for them there. So if you look at these platforms as, look what we did, you'll 
have some value. If you look at them as the infrastructure to get to an actual outcome that your business model is driving towards, these things are gold. Yeah. I want to flip the table on our host, Ryan, for a second and ask you a question. So I know, Ryan, you've been doing some work. I don't with, answer uh, questions. <laughs> you have to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, John and I both know JT Forbes at Indiana, formerly of the association now. He's the president and CEO of their foundation. And uh, his successor, Tricia Stump, who is now the head alumni uh, person at there, have brought you on, Ryan, to think about their digital and their marketing and all the issues that we've just been talking about. And I would love for you to share with the audience a little bit about what that work is. Just give us like a minute, Brian, a high level summary of kind of what the project was, kind of where you are and where you see the outcomes. Yeah, well, I, you know, at Indiana University Foundation and the Alumni Association, you know, the marketing communications, annual giving folks all got together and they realized, hey, we have a lot of overlapping um, talent efficiencies that we're not utilizing here to work together towards best practice, you know, donor pipeline development. And, and at the same time, they also recognized that they needed some new tools to really drive the journeys of donors. And so they brought in Salesforce, marketing cloud, commerce cloud, some other new technology. And so you have a scenario where this new technology is coming online. You've got the desire to really merge the marketing uh, communications functions together, along with annual giving to create essentially a, a mega team, right? And we've looked at, uh, I said Cornell did a very similar merger where they brought together, you know, their effectively their in communi marketing communications on the engagement side, marketing communications, annual giving on the foundation side or an advancement side, and become one team and now is kind of helping um, that the the one the development of that one team to work together in new ways and um, to not forget about the important things on the engagement side, the top of funnel stuff and try to make sure that um, you know the the annual giving partnerships with schools and units is enhanced and, and partnerships with development is enhanced. It's kind of a new team, you know, yeah. and we and we think about it as Chris, you and I work with a lot of partners. We're kind of we've been, we've been playing around with this idea of merging alumni, marketing communications, uh, annual giving, donor relations, all these communication-based uh, roles and functions to deliver one big great donor engagement um, pipeline development strategy, right and. IU is right in the middle of, of working on that. It's really been a yeah. fun project. I, I got into consulting to do that type of work. So, you know, thanks for making that introduction. <laughs> it, well, it actually is a really good example of the structure is doesn't matter because you still have yeah. a separate foundation still separate. and alumni yeah. association there, but you have a function that's coming together to better deliver on, on the customer experience, if you will, right? For the alums to be able to engage with the institution in a more meaningful way, in a more seamless way. And to help deliver on the priorities that we, the institution wants to deliver. So JT, Tricia, and the other team there have done a great job. You know, forget about structure. Let's do the right thing here but from a functional standpoint. And I love that they've done it. Let's turn back to that's, our guests. Thanks really, for, let me just comment. That's really yeah. exciting work. Uh, I, I, yeah. I'd love to continue to follow uh, what JT and Tricia are, and team are doing there. Uh, to, we are, as an industry, in the infant stage of how to better use data. And I'll tell you, for many, many parts of our career, we've been almost afraid to sometimes because we don't want to um, step in it with some, some alumnus that doesn't want us to, to know more about them than we actually do. And, and yet last night at this grad fair, every single 20 something that was there was on their phone the whole time clicking through every QR code we had in the room, <laughs> basically exposing themselves data-wise without even thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where those younger markets are, truthfully. And the smart organizations, and it sounds like that's happening in Indiana, will know how to tap into that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see. Where are we, Chris? Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I want to. I took a right turn there. Sorry, uh, Ryan. I'm going to pick up and ask John, and then we'll, you can do the wrap up questions here. But okay. uh, John, big picture, what do you see as the mega trends coming for our industry um, in the years ahead? I'll tell you what I hope I see. 
what what I hope I see are um, um, strong focus on understanding how our work positively reflects and supports the priorities of our institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I see that outcome-based work instead of activity-based performance matters. Uh, I hope I see that um, what I just said takes investment. Mm. Uh, and everything we've talked about here, you can't do in a three or four person shop. You just have to scale it down. So there is investment that's needed. And the only way in my experience, 25 years, you get that investment is if you're paying really strong attention to what you're expected by others in the institution and your bosses and your boards to deliver. And so uh, connecting the dots to make sure that your budgeted uh, resources and are delivering things. You can't just do activities for the sake of activities. The picnic on the east side of your state better be doing something for mm-hmm. you and you're not just doing it because you've always done it. And so hopefully the um, um, the industry keeps going there. And I'll go back to one other thing that Chris, you and I were just talking about a few minutes ago. I hope that our ongoing predecessors, uh, successors in this industry are paying attention to I'll name some names, the Bob, Bob Foreman's and the, um, uh, in our case, Don Worth's and, and the, the legends of our business who created the infrastructure possible for us to build upon, to know that there are certain things that matter to have meaningful relationships that deliver meaningful outcomes. Mm. And we don't have to do this from scratch every five years when you have a new staff. Uh, and so um, I hope that case CAAE, CMAC and others continue to be part of the education of how we got to where we are now as a strong industry so that we can continue moving that forward. Amen, brother. Yeah, well, we're running close to the end of our time, John, but one of the areas that I love talking to folks about before we let them run away are your own inspirations. You know, where do you, where do you find passion? You know, where do you find uh, inspiration? What resources, uh, people or uh, in other institutions do you look towards? I know we talked a little bit about CAAE, but you might have some other thoughts on, on what gets get, keeps you going and keeps you excited about our line of work. You mean other than following Chris and Ryan on LinkedIn and Facebook? Because <laughs> and, um, that's first and foremost. The um, I'm worried about our industry if they're looking, they're looking <laughs> for Chris and Ryan, but we are trying to be helpful there. You are incredibly uh, an incredible resource to us. Uh, my inspiration is the students that we're working with. This is the future of our alumni. This is the um, the passion of these twenty something year olds who have chosen the institution that I have the privilege of working at and think about uh, um, walking the same footpaths that people sixty years ago walked and how they get inspired when you tell them that the CEO of this company or the founder of this research walked this through this same lecture hall as, as you are yeah. that to me that's cool uh, and so if we can spend some time um uh preaching that uh and using that to build more inclusive um welcoming um environments for first-gen students that might not understand uh in their background uh um, what an education has done for other kids that might be third generation student. If we can leverage legacy in a positive way to support um, the ever more diverse, inclusive um, mission of at least I'll talk for public universities, um, that's inspiring me. Awesome. Well, we'll let that be the last word for uh, this episode of Alumless. Thank you to everyone for listening on the podcast. John, thank you so much for spending time with us. This was great. Loved the conversation. Learned a ton. Appreciate your time. Always good being with you too. Uh, appreciate the work that you're doing, the the, the uh, advocacy for the industry uh, as a management science means a lot. And I'm honored to be with you. Good to see you. 
Well, we're grateful for your time. And uh, to all of our listeners, we're grateful for yours too. We'll see you again in two weeks uh, with another episode. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to uh, catching up with everybody then. Have a great weekend. Uh, For Chris and John, I'm Ryan signing off. Have a good one. Take care. Hey, everybody. It's Friday. Actually, no, it's not Friday. Glad you're watching this on Friday, but this is actually our first pre-recorded episode of Alumnus. So thank you for joining us. We had a little bit of a scheduling conflict today. Uh, So you were actually watching uh, a pre-recorded show uh, live broadcast on LinkedIn, but we're grateful that you're spending your time with us uh, Chris Marshall, this is a Chris Marshall Advancement Production alumnus. I'm your host, Ryan Catherwood. And every other Friday, we try to have a new episode of Alumnus. This is episode five. Uh, but of course, you're not here to see me. You're here to see the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Chris Marshall. And we will introduce him in just a minute. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here and have carved out some time on your Friday. Our, our live show, although recorded this week, is typically 30 minutes long. But we had another 30-minute bonus segment available only on the podcast version of Alumnus, which you can subscribe to using Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, or Amazon Music. And of course, uh, on f- when this is aired on June 10th, as you're watching this, uh, hopefully myself and Chris and our special guest today, John Valva from Oregon State, will be able to chime in and answer some of the questions that you might pose in the LinkedIn chat. Uh, so just because we're not live, it uh, doesn't mean we can't engage with you uh, with respect to this show and even answer some of your questions in the chat. Uh, so don't hesitate to um, leave those comments and ask some questions, and we'll make sure to respond to you. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to bring in uh, Chris to the stream. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Ryan. How are you, man? Very good. I- Say it's uh, happy Friday. I guess I said it's not Friday, but it is Friday. We're recording yeah, this week actually. Ahead, a week, right? It's a week ahead of time. It's actually Friday, uh, June third, as we're recording this. And um, you and I are going to be on site together, uh, actually, with a, a client here in Virginia when the show is airing live next week. So we thought it would be a good idea to keep our consistent uh, streaming of the show every other Friday, uh, but try to do it a little differently and, and pre-record. Uh, the episode. But uh, so how are you doing? What's shaking up in your world? Uh, coming off uh, Memorial Day, which was nice. Took some time out. was good. Uh, had a trip to client down in uh, NC State, down in North Carolina. We'll talk about that in a little bit at the end of our session today. Um, and I, I have to share with the audience and you, Ryan, I had the single worst travel flight experience of my 600 travel flight. <laughs> You've had a lot of travel experiences. Yeah. Oh, it was a nightmare return trip. It was supposed to take five hours, and it took close to 25 hours when it was all said and done. So, But I've survived it, and I'm ready to go for this conversation. Excited. Should be fun. That's awesome. As, as you work with clients around the country, you know we often find ourselves working with foundations, alumni associations that are in various states of merging together, trying to, uh, if not fully merge, at least try to speak as one voice through more focused collaboration. Is it fair assessment to say that's one of the biggest kind of trends out there right now is this merger between alumni associations and foundations? And how would you sort of describe what we're looking at these days? Yeah, 100%. I think I think it is a trend. I'd put it on that list, high on the list of things that we're seeing recently, and I think we'll continue to see. Um, yeah. It, it's it's part of what schools are moving towards and more increasingly so a integrated advancement model, whether you're in a legal structure that's merging or just a um, philosophical approach to having alumni engagement be more directly connected to other outcomes, including fundraising unapologetically is part of the work that I think we're, we're going to see more and more happening around the country. And the the piece that I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of passionate about is the fact that 
I don't think this means it's the end of alumni engagement as we know it, right? People, the fear of this for many people, it's all going to be about fundraising. It's all going to be about money at the end of the day. I, I, I don't buy that at all. I think there's models that work. I've seen them work. I've seen some of the best programs in the country and very integrated models where alumni engagement is, is paramount to the, uh, it's part of the goals, it's part of the plan. And, it, and as an outcome, we want alumni to be engaged so that we can deliver value to them, but also use alums to help move the institution forward in lots of ways, including fundraising. And I don't think we should be hiding behind that any longer as an industry. I don't, I don't, many schools have already done this. And it, it, to some folks watching this, it sounds like, you know, what am I talking about? But there are still places out there where they're separate and that move means something significant to certain institutions. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, why, why do this? You know, what, what's the point of the, of the merger or the synchronization? And, you know, what are some of the friction points out there that exist? I think you sort of alluded to a little yeah. bit, which is the being afraid that the, that, the whole point of engagement is going to be about philanthropy, but isn't the merger kind of about ensuring stronger connectivity between engagement strategy and, and raising philanthropic yeah. dollars? Yeah. Yeah. And other outcomes that we can talk about are, you know, can alums be involved in helping recruit or get students, the best students to say yes to us in the admissions process or from a yield standpoint, there's alums who can be involved in mentoring students and making sure kids are staying in school, retention can be impacted by alums. Alums can impact, you know, internships and career and job placement kind of kinds of uh, outcomes. Again, one of them is fundraising. And I think you know, some of the friction points we see, if I had to boil them all down, I'd say it comes down to control. And maybe, you know, institutional culture, uh, sort of cultural entrenchment, maybe, because there's certain ways that we've done it for a long, long time. And to do it differently means letting something go, giving up some control and trusting in something else. And yeah. And that part can be hard. And I, th those are the ones I see um, sort of tripping people up along the way. But uh, lots of folks have done it. And we're going to, I think, keep seeing, we're going to keep seeing more. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely part of the conversation. And, and many of the, um, you know, partnerships that you and I have worked on together, uh, uh, together, and I know it's been part of what you've you've worked on for the last several years. Well, obviously, we have specifically organized the show to ensure that we have a great guest that can chat about uh, this particular topic and others, of course. And everybody knows now who um, we are featuring this week and we'll bring John uh, to the front here in just a second. But um, we decided to have our special guest this week no longer be a surprise. And I think, you know, we are ex or always ex so excited about who we have as a special guest that um, we want everyone else to be as excited as well. So let's go ahead and bring out our special guest today in three, two, one. Here he is. Hey, John Valva, how are you? Good. How are you, Chris? How are you, Ryan? Yeah, good, John. Good to see you. Greetings from the Willamette Valley. Yeah. Well, we were just talking before we hit the record button about what a beautiful place to live it is in the Corvallis area. You said sort of nestled between farm valleys and wine country and within 35 minutes to the ocean or something like that. And I was like, wow, you know, this sounds idyllic. Nobody in Oregon wants anybody else to know that, though. We love our little <laughs> lives here. So if you heard that, you know, don't visit. You can visit. Area. You okay. can visit and buy our wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Buy the wine. Uh, well, John Valva, of course, is vice president and executive director of the Oregon State University Alumni Association, which is part of the Oregon State University Foundation. At least I think it is. And John can share more about the exact kind of alignment there. Uh, interestingly enough, prior to joining Oregon State, John worked uh, for the University of California Office of the President as the executive director Alumni in Constituent Affairs, um, and that, of course, was a role that our um, la guest last week, Patricia Nguyen, uh, was, and so we have a really interesting context. We can talk a little bit about that uh, role for University of California system impacting your work at Oregon State, and maybe even touch on some of the work Patricia's doing. We'll probably hit a little bit more on that in the bonus segment of the, of the show, which, of course, all you listeners will want to tune into. Uh, by listening to subscribing to the podcast. But so first off, John, maybe you can share a little bit more uh, about the alignment there at the Oregon State Alumni Association. Is it part of the foundation? And, and what has that meant for leading alumni engagement at the university? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. 
I've quickly become a devoted follower of this series and I'm <laughs> thrilled and honored to be part of it. It's good to see you both. Uh, and to all of you online, uh, please don't let their choice of me this week dissuade you from watching <laughs> in the future. Trust me, the other people are gonna be a lot better, but hang on for about 22 more minutes. Uh, um, so I wanna make sure that we we focus a lot of our time on the content and the outcomes that, that Chris was talking about, but we can stand, spend a minute on structure, uh, particularly why I think what we're doing here to make structure work. Um, so briefly for context, uh, yes, at Oregon State University, the structural model is the Alumni Association is part of the self-governing foundation, which has a legal relationship with the university that makes us responsible for all fundraising and almost all constituent engagement. And in return, the separate but very closely integrated foundation and uh, alumni association commit that all of our outcomes, financial and otherwise, directly support university priorities and initiatives. Functionally, what does that mean? Functionally, that results in a mostly centralized operation. We don't have units elsewhere on the campus doing what we're doing. It's it's here. Um, that's directly forwarding the university's mission priorities, but we have the benefit of autonomy of a private business management practices mm. like investment strategies, business contracting, HR, things like that. Although I started my career at Cal in a self-governing alumni association, this is the first time in my 25 years in this industry that I've worked in this exact business model of a self-governing, holistic and integrated advancement shop. And I love it. Uh, for the most part, I think I feel that way because how it's managed here and who I work with, uh, but we can get in a little bit more of that as we go. Uh, to your question, uh, what that's, this means to our work is our staff and our work processes are held to the standards of professionalism and outcomes you more often, frankly, see in private industry than sometimes in higher ed. Uh, and more importantly, the obligations committed back to the university requires our daily focus to be on delivering impact of the institutional priorities, not just in our self-preservation. Uh, they set the priorities, we manage the work. Um, many, I guess, can say that. At OSU, we translate that to mean our engagement does and must support donor pipeline development. That's cool, that's part of our job. Uh, but if we do our job thoughtfully, we are also proactively inclusive in whom we serve uh, and engage uh, and how those relationships, in addition to the donor pipeline, also support student alumni careers, legislative and community-based advocacy, the academic research and service mission of our land-grant status, uh, and in ensuring that OSU is diverse, inclusive, and welcoming. We have here, using both data and storytelling, proven that engaging alumni directly in a university priority outcomes both delivers that alumni expertise and connections that we all think are really important. It also statistically increases the alumni propensity and frequency of giving. Mm. We've proven it and we see it as a win-win. I, yeah. I love the comment you made, Ryan, if you don't mind real quick. Yeah, um, please. I see a lot of these alumni associations out there that are in business to sustain the business of the alumni association. Yet, when you look at their documents, their their founding documents, it's to support the, the mission of the institution, and that gets lost in the how do we stay alive as a separate entity. And you just eliminate that with the structure you just talked about. So there, there's there are some resource allocations that are necessary to have the privilege of saying what I just said. Yeah, Chris. yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so and so historically, yeah, I mean. I, I, Chris and I entered this field at a time when self-preservation was foremost, really. Uh, the, um, and and uh, we have parts of our operation that have self-generating revenue that we feel that way about still. We have an alumni center, that's the convention center for the region. It's fantastic. That is our primary self-generating revenue model. I need that to be self-sustaining. I need that to be at the forefront of our work, but it doesn't mean that that's all we care about. It means right. that that is funding a resource for us. Credit cards used to be like that, things like that. Yep. So, yep. Um, you use the self-preservation as a resource to do the real work in my yep. view. And, and along the way in this sort of new model at Oregon State, have you, has there been a lot of friction? Have you experienced, what are, where have been the growing pains, I suppose? Yeah, well, let me, let me just say that um, the merger itself predated my arrival here. I've been here almost four years. 
the hard work was done by my predecessor, Kathy Bickle, uh, and uh, the CEO of the foundation at that time, Mike Goodwin, a legend in this business, uh, and his successor, and number two at that point, Sean Scoville, um, and uh, the university leadership, and, and most importantly, the alumni board and the alumni staff that uh, worked with the foundation staff to make sure that the dots were connected and aligned. So uh, that's hard work, and they did it. I was brought in after the formalities were done and given the luxury of saying, all right, now make it work. Figure out what, what resources and, and such this does. So I'm in a lucky spot. The, the, um, it works here, uh, but I'll also tell you that, um, Chris knows this about me, others in the industry that know me know this, I, I'm very direct. And so I'm just gonna say it. Uh, I don't think government structure is that big of a deal. Uh, I think the uh, um, there are many ways to run this business really well. There are many ways to screw up this business terribly. Uh, and often government governing structure is an excuse one way or the other. Uh, the, I grew up in a self-governing alumni association. I've worked in integrated. My job in the UC system worked with 10 different campus with 10 different models. Uh, I have a little bit of perspective on this. And my perspective is what matters is alignment to priorities. What matters is properly resourcing, properly staffing, having fervent alumni that you engage in things they want to engage in, but you have the nuanced ability to channel that into something that the university needs. These are things that can happen under any structure, any structure. Uh, so when a new president or chancellor comes in and he or she thinks this is the only way to do it, fine. Alumni directors tend to stay around longer than they do anyway. Uh, and so the um, the structure matters less. The alignment matters more. So with all due respect to the excellent work that you do to help people think through that, I think the and it's needed. Uh, I would suggest that the important work is how it supports alignment, how it's it anticipates the effectiveness and efficiency of resources. So in our case, uh, it was primarily done be for two reasons. Uh, um, there are a lot of business redundancies, data management, data uh, back end office uh, um, input, HR, um, uh, accounting, marketing and communications, the integral uh, um, support of this work if you've got it in an alumni operation and you have it in a foundation operation, you've got some redundancies that you're potentially race, wasting some resources on. We effectively fixed that mostly. Right. Uh, and uh, that way, more of the resources in one shop can go to the outbound work. That's the, that's the reason to do it, um, not because people want control or anything like that. Yeah, efficiencies, right? Or redundancies. It makes a ton of sense when you look at the the big picture. Chris, as you're hearing John describe, you know, the situation at Oregon State, how does that kind of compare with other institutions you've worked with in terms of the challenges of figuring out this type of merger? Yeah, I love the way he he, he framed it. And at, at the end of the day, the average alum frankly, doesn't, I mean, John, you're candid, I'm candid right back. The average alum doesn't know or doesn't care about the structures that we create internally, right? They just don't. And I'll give you an example. So, John, what Mike actually had, Mike Goodwin, your, you know, so Sean's predecessor, Mike, you mentioned, uh, brought me and Andy Shanlin in to help think, help Kathy think through this work at Oregon State specifically. And so here's a formality that you mentioned. It had to go to a statewide legal process vote to determine if this could happen, this legal merger. So 180,000 people, something like that, had to be notified that this vote, this was going to happen. We needed a vote on whether or not it should. And John, did you ever hear the story on how many actually showed up to vote? Oh, I don't think I know that. No, it's it's like 30, and the vote was <laughs> 29 to one in favor of doing it. I know that one. <laughs> of course, you know the one. <laughs> I'm sure you do, right? But the the point is, of course, is that. Most people don't know. I don't care. And it's not about the structure, right? It's about yeah. what it does to serve. When you talk about priorities, 
it talks about we think about serving the priorities of the institution. What are the goals we're trying to help support? And and so so Ryan, back to your question, this is the exact thing we're seeing across other institutions. And the person in the in the Sean role now, previously Mike, and in the John role and the Kathy role, how uh, entrenched or how staunch are they going to be in keeping the structure the way it was? Or doing what makes the most sense to support the priorities of the institution is really what it boils down to. And so we're seeing it again, time and again. And one other factor in here, of course, as John, you know this very well, you mentioned it in your comments, is whether or not you have an alumni board, your volunteer leadership, supportive of potentially moving into a new new direction. Is, is so critical. here's what our board cared about. That's a really big point. Yeah, it is. Um, the... Um, we had the luxury here of we had, still have, a good amount of reserves. Back right. in the glory days yeah, of credit that. cards, yeah. almost all of those funds Millions. were yeah, yeah, yeah. invested. Uh, and, and until the last maybe six weeks, that portfolio keeps going up. So the, the um, and we have strong parameters of how to spend it. Our board cared deeply that that didn't that work that investment didn't go away but instead yep. continued to be uh an important resource for our future and our growth and mike and ed ray our president and others that was never in doubt this was never a resource yep. grab, ever yep. that matters that's not true everywhere yeah um, you're right <laughs> and um we cared about the ability to remain publisher of the alumni magazine we cared about the ability to retain the importance of the convention center that we run. Right. There were certain yep. negotiables that were that our board was firm on. Uh, we were not particularly as much into how we do the work, who on staff does the work, as much as understanding our priorities, understanding the end goals. And then it was a lot of work then to pull that together. And we're grateful that Chris and Andy were part of it. John, you, you were uh, not long ago searching for your new magazine editor. Is that still open, that search? We are final interviews next week. Okay, uh, today, sure. as, a, as a matter of fact, um, June, today that we're recording, June 3rd, is the official final day of Kevin Miller. Uh, fun fact. 66 years, we've had three alumni editors here. Yeah, I knew that. That's, uh, that's amazing. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. yeah. So no and pressure. Well, he's newbie, great. Right? one of the best in the business, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, our magazine is fantastic. Um, so, and, so too late to plug endorse, or, or plug um, uh, uh, anybody who to apply for the position, but John, if you have any other openings, now's your chance to put it out there. Let us know. <laughs> digital part. engagement. We're bringing back regional. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we've got... Um, and... I don't know about all of you out there in the lands. We can't get students to apply to our part-time student jobs. It, mm. the, 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 some of the, the unexpected impacts of COVID or things like that. Interesting. Yeah. John, let's let's talk about some of the things you're most proud of in the, uh, the last four years. You talked about the alumni magazine, which sounds like a, a, a really fantastic publication. What gives you the most pride when you think about what's been accomplished over the last few years? Anybody worth their soul in this business, uh, does it to be inspired by the people we work around, truthfully. Uh, these jobs are awesome. I'm working on a college campus. We've got robots delivering food all around. It's the coolest, cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and, and if you don't have them at your university, you should get them. Uh, um, we're working with students and amazing faculty doing amazing research and teaching. And um, Ernst State's a special place culturally. People love it here. Corvallis is a quintessential small college town in the western united states there actually aren't that many of those many of the research one universities are in big cities on the west it's not like the south or the midwest so um people love it here people retire here after they've had their career somewhere else it's that type of little town so beavers engage with beavers as beavers uh um and uh um that's a special culture. So last night we had hundreds of new grads. We graduations next week. Largest graduating class this university will ever see. Many public universities are saying that our, our student enrollments are increasing. And we're connecting them all to jobs and we're connecting them into when they move to a different region that there's still some alumni around there. That's the part of the work that, you know, that never goes away. That's just magical when you can make those personal connections. It's that for me. 
And and when you think about the accomplishments you'd still like to to make over the next few years, what's at the top of your list? And then as you think about what might prevent you from making those accomplishments, sort of the micro or macro factors that will dictate whether you're able to be successful, you know, what do you think about there? COVID changed everything, truthfully. Uh, and so um, shame on me, 23 years into this business, I thought I knew a little bit about it. And two years ago, suddenly the game changed 100% and realized really quickly that our model of mostly in-person engagement was incredibly exclusive. The only people that could really fully engage with the university were those that would and could show up at a given place, location, at a given time, on a given date. That's not particularly the most inclusive way to run a business. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, it's expensive. and yet that's how we all did it, right? Yep, and so right. Um, suddenly, overnight in March of 2020, uh, we were one of those schools. I'm incredibly proud of it. We pivoted within 10 days and suddenly everything we had been planning went digital, uh, almost without skipping feet. We had a captive audience that was reeling and home and discovering many of them Zoom for the very first time. And we took full advantage of that. And our engagement was stronger that first year numbers wise than it had ever yeah. been before. Uh, the, the second year has been a bigger challenge because we're in and we're not. And so the blend of that work combined with the fatigue of Zoom, knowing that people are indeed willing to come back Here's the here's the breaking point right now, the tipping point right now, and it's um, how do we embrace that inclusive nature of no matter where our alumni are and where they are in their life, they can be engaged with us, and still we bring back folks that are willing and able and um, available to come in person. That balance is still a puzzle piece we're working out. I'm proud that we've got a team that is working on that and it's fun to do. I think you're exactly right. That is the balance that everyone is trying to, to figure out and, and what is the technology that should be deployed to um, get to that future state of balance. I think they're all really interesting questions. Um, Chris, we like to talk about trends here on Alumlist. Before we sort of conclude this, the live portion or the, the live broadcast of the show and, and go to our bonus segment with John, um, the idea of merging alumni associations and foundations in different ways really is one of those predominant trends, I think it's fair to say. But on the flip side, is there a rationale for keeping alumni associations and foundations separate? I mean, we talked a little bit about that power dynamic, right? Um, I suppose that's the thing, right, it, it is, is maintaining that power. Yeah. That, and John mentioned this, too. It, the structure is, is, is less important, I think. But I think if you had to pick reasons out, I'd say there are probably some legal ones out there. There's certainly financial ones. John hit on those dead on. I mean, it's a really important one. PR is a big one. Public, you know, the the PR of of, of dissolving an alumni association. Not, that's not what we did here, but that's how sometimes it gets communicated. And alums, you know, oh, how could we ever think about that? But but I want to keep it quick here, Ryan. Generally speaking, I personally believe that the best structure to get at the support of the institutional priorities is in an integrated model. What legal layer you put across that is, it almost doesn't matter, but I think having an integrated approach to the work that we do an advancement overall is gonna get us to the goals of supporting institutional priorities better than anything else. And again, remember we've talked about this, at the end of the day, these are things that we talk about on these things, right? The average alum could care less about this stuff. You know, the structure doesn't matter at all. It's, it's the relationship they have with their alma mater and some hopefully we can get at that point with their connections they have at their institution you know so so alum to alum alum to student alum to institution are the most important things and all that but how do we make those relationships so that the alum gets value out of continuing it but the institution gets value out of it as well and structure is less important john i agree with all of that with one caveat go <laughs> and that's and if the merger means alumni engagement is just basically an annual fund sales development mm. operation. You are very short-sighted and you've missed it. And right. we have all seen operations where it became that. 
Yeah, and yeah, you're right. What that means is you forget those other outcomes that come along the way, and you forget the ability to nurture people to start giving even more that we were yep. talking about earlier. Well said. Glad you added that. Awesome point. And we're going to have more with, with John Valda in our bonus uh, segment here that you can listen to through the podcast edition of Alumnus. But we're about to conclude the live LinkedIn live portion. Obviously, this streams too on YouTube, which uh, if that's your preferred place to view content, then please check us out on YouTube. But Chris, I thought it would be good if we announce uh, our next guests, you know, in the middle of the previous show, get people excited. So yeah. before we leave the live, the LinkedIn live and head over to the bonus segment, why don't you tell us a little bit about who we're featuring in two weeks? Yeah. Talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Cisco from NC State. He's the vice chancellor for advancement at NC State. Uh, a real great dynamic leader, just concluded a $2 billion capital campaign, has some really interesting thoughts on alumni engagement. And they're in the middle right now of, of searching for their new alumni leader. They've actually made the decision to combine alumni engagement and annual giving under the same associate vice chancellor. And they're down to the final rounds of interviews uh, right now. So we'll be in, in three weeks from today when we're recording this, Brian may have some interesting stuff to share. So I'm looking forward to having Brian on the show. Fantastic. All right. Well, for those of you who are watching us on LinkedIn, uh, have a great weekend and be sure to check out the bonus segment with John after we can publish it early uh, next week. But thanks a lot and so long, everybody. interested in learning more about Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting, please visit www.cmac.me or give Chris or myself a shout on LinkedIn. We're more than happy to chat and talk with you about alumni and donor engagement strategies. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks time with Brian Sisko of North Carolina State University on the next edition of Alumnus. Thanks and see you again next time.